0: one year as we talked about what it was like uh, to live with the end in mind and we thought about what it was like to live with the end of 2019 in mind but we also then last week talked about what does it look like to live with our own end in mind what does it look like for us to imagine and see the time that we have and use that time as the incredible gift that it is within our lives That sometimes we have regrets, and I'm sure we all have regrets, about time that we have lost. Time with loved ones, times with our family, times with our kids, time with our careers, time time that has just sort of disappeared and went away. And we wish we could have time back, but time doesn't work like that. But there is something that we realized last week, is that we realized that time used wisely always outweighs lost time. That no matter where you are in your life, no matter how much time you have left, the time that you have now, the time that you use wisely and invest today always will outweigh the time that you lost. We learn this from Psalm 90, verse 12 that said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's a prayer to God. God, we, we will waste our time. So God, teach us. Teach us how to number our days. How, help us to live with the end in mind. So we'll gain a heart of wisdom, teach us to number our days so that we'll look at our time and spend it wisely in pursuit of things that matter to you, that bring life to this world, that bring life to our families, help us to live life like that. And so we asked one very simple question, how will you make the most of the gift that you have left? How will you make the most of the gift of the time that you have left? And I don't know that we can answer that here right now in this space. It's something we have to contemplate, something we have to think about, something we have to take home and question and ask ourselves, what will I do with the time that I have left? How will we come alongside each other and ask each other that? Find someone in this church, in this space. Find someone that you know who lives around the country, who also is following Jesus and say, will you help me this year to use my time wisely. This week, we enter week two of starting over, and this week, I want to look at something a little bit different. I want to look at regrets in terms of the regrets that are caused by the fear that we have in life. I wrote down some questions to kind of help this week to prompt, uh, maybe to prompt us to think about this a little bit. Here's some questions that I thought about that, that for me raised a little bit of angst and raised a little bit of fear in my own life. Should we sell the house? Which school should I go to? Is it time to look for a new job? Should I take this job offer or that job offer? Is this the right choice? Now, there's a good chance that you have asked a question like this this year. But I would bet that you've probably also sat in bed, unable to go to sleep, as you wrestled some of these very same questions through your mind. And these questions always lead to what I call the what-ifs. They're the ones that cause us to stop and say, but what if, what if, what if? What what, what if I make a huge mistake? What what if I fail utterly and miserably? What if I'm overestimating my my ability to go through this? What if, what if, what if? And as I thought about these questions, I wrote down this. I said, the problem with the what-ifs of our lives is that they lead us to regrets, Not regrets of things that we've done in our past, but things that we've left undone. The the words we've left unsaid, the choices that we've left unmade. And the reason is because our what-ifs are tied directly to the worry of our lives. Has anybody here ever not had worry Would anybody be willing to say, I am someone who has never experienced worry in my entire life? See, nobody's going to raise their hand because we've all experienced worry, haven't we? Every one of us has experienced worry. I saw something last night that was troubling. It said that in 2018, Americans were the most worried people in the world. Worried. The most worried people. Worried about what? Everything everything. I know that there is something, when I say you are worried, there is something that you have worry about. Here's an interesting quote. This is from psychology today. It says, worry is insidious, invisible, a relentless scavenger, roaming the corners of your mind, feeding on anything it finds, feasting on the infinite array of negative possibilities in life, Diminishing your enjoyment of friends, family, achievements, and physical being, all because you live in fear of what might go wrong. People who worry too much suffer for all their hard work, for all their humor and willingness to laugh at themselves, for all their self-awareness. Worriers just cannot achieve peace of mind. And isn't that it? Isn't that what you find yourself when you're laying in bed or you're laying on the couch? Your mind is moving 1,000 miles an hour. You can't get rest. You can't find any kind of peace. And that thing, that issue you're facing, just keeps coming back. It just keeps cycling through. And you keep thinking, what if, what if, what if? And you know what? We never do anything then. We never do anything about those things because the what ifs sort of paralyze us. And they cause us to leave all these things undone and unsaid, Because we're worried about the what ifs. What I think is powerful is that we're not the only people who have wrestled with this reality. See, the Bible was written in times of uncertainty and fear. If you look at your favorite Bible story, there's no doubt that it was written during a time of uncertainty and fear. That people were wondering the what ifs of life what is gonna happen here? What is gonna happen with this? But in the midst of their uncertainty, in the midst of their fear, in the, in, in the midst of their struggle, people found God. They found this constant in the midst of that fear. And they found that in their what-ifs, in the midst of the fears of their what-ifs, that they could come to God and experiencing some kind of peace. There's something powerful about that. So today what I want us to do is I want us to look at a passage we find in the book of Philippians. It's a letter in the New Testament. It's written to some early Christians. And in it, I think we discover how to face our fears. So, so here's just a portion of the letter. Uh, it's really short. It's actually only four chapters. You can read it pretty quick. Uh, we're going to read the fourth chapter. This is what happens here is he's sort of writing, concluding the letter And he's kind of ending with this paragraph as sort of some heavy-hitting moments. And this is one of those places where there's a heavy-hitting moment here that talks about our fear. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, you read that again up there. I'm going to take a drink of water. Now, this was written by the Apostle Paul. He was a church planner. He went to different communities, and he began all these different churches. And this is in the Greek city of Philippi. Now, Paul Paul faced an incredible amount of uncertainty. He faced fear. He he was persecuted. He went around uh, Europe and Greece and Italy. He shared the story of of Jesus with the people that he met in villages and towns and cities, and life wasn't always easy for him. In fact, this letter was written while Paul was in prison. So Paul knew what it was like to fear. He probably had all kinds of what-ifs about his life. That as he sat around and thought, and he looked, and he began to think, maybe I should go to this city. But what if they arrest me? Or I could go to this city. What if they kill me? Or I could go here. What if I can't be supported in what I'm trying to do? I imagine that Paul had all kinds of what-ifs, the kinds of what-ifs that we have in our lives. And he wrote this incredible statement. And what I want to do is I want to take it piece by piece because I think there's a lot going on here that we can learn from. And then we're going to tie it all together. So let's just start at the top. We're going to walk through this together and see what Paul has to teach us about our fear. So in Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And, and this doesn't really seem to fit together, does it? It kind of seems like Paul is being a little random, right? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And it's almost like he has to convince himself. Like I do this sometimes. I'll say, I'm doing the happy dance, and I'll just sort of do the happy dance. No, I'm going to do the happy dance, and then I'll really do the happy dance. And I know that if I need to be encouraged or I need something to happen, I've got to say it again. I've got to push myself. I've got to get there somehow, right? So he says, look, 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 look. He's not just going to clap here. He's not just going to say, you know, let's rejoice. He says, man, I've got to say it again. I sort of wonder, maybe Paul, maybe this letter was actually six chapters, and four and five was just Paul saying, rejoice. Okay, I'm in prison, I'm going to rejoice again. I need to rejoice some more, right? And He's like trying to pump himself up, trying to get there. So he says, rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. Now, if Paul had simply said, rejoice always, I think we could chalk this up to not being very relevant. But see, we know Paul is going through something. I think that this is more than Paul putting on a rose-colored set of glasses. I think Paul is doing more than just saying, hey, you know what, in everything, just rejoice. Because you look at him and go, yeah, not real relevant, Paul. Maybe you can do that. You don't know my life. But he says something here that I think this is what he's getting at. See, if I replaced in the Lord with something else, I think this makes more sense. What if Paul had said this? Rejoice in your new job. Do You know what that feels like? You ever rejoiced in a new job? Anybody? We can have some uh, question and answer today. Anybody? What about this one? Rejoice in your new car. Has anybody ever rejoiced in a new car? You can shout an amen. It's fine. How about this one? Rejoice in your new house. Come on. Who's rejoiced in a new house? Remember that first time you walked in? You got your keys? Remember the first time you ever bought a house and you got the keys and you went, yeah! All right. You opened the door and then you found out the plumbing didn't work and it was all garbage. And then you said, well, I'm not rejoicing anymore. But at first, you rejoiced. Remember that car? You bought that car and you got in it. And you say, and you took somebody for a ride. You ever done this? You ever take somebody for a ride? Why do we do this? This is so ridiculous. I'm going to buy like a 10-year-old car and be like, I got a new car. You'll go for a ride in it? Your friends look at you and they're like, I've never been in a car before. i think I'll go with you. It's just a, a sedan. Oh, a sedan. All right. So you say, Let, let's go for a ride. Somebody goes for a ride with you and you're driving your car and you're like, I feel pretty good. I like this car. And then you ever heard this one? You are how quiet this thing rides? Like in three months, you go, this is the loudest car I have ever. Nothing works in this car, right? You've done this before, right? Sort of have this new, right? I got a new house. Man, it's awesome. I got a new car. Man, this thing is awesome. What if I said, rejoice in your new relationship? High school, my friends. Remember those days? Do you remember that? Rejoicing over a new car? Rejoicing over a new house? Rejoicing over new love, we all remember what that was like. See, when we rejoice in something, it takes our minds off of worry, doesn't it? When you're rejoicing in something that's new, it's hard to worry, isn't it? You start to not think about those things. This is absolutely true of relationships. When people are first in love, man, there is nothing wrong with the world at all. Everything is perfect. You just lost your job. I have more time to spend with my boyfriend. I mean, you just sort of turn everything. I've got an opportunity to rejoice here. See, and this is what I think Paul is doing. He's saying, look, look, you know what rejoicing is like, but I want to help you understand that. Because here's what, here's what I think the point is. All of our rejoicing doesn't stop worry. It just distracts us for a little bit. See that new car? That new relationship, that new house, all these fleeting things, the Pacers maybe winning a championship. Oh my goodness, I'd, I'd be stopped worrying for like a year, I think. And then it would fade away, and then I'd go, oh, now we gotta focus on next year. My friends who are Cubs fans, I know what this is like. Everybody cheered and everybody cried at the World Series, and they were like, oh no, we have to try to win again next year. And then you're like, this team stinks, right? I mean, it just turns so fast. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, look, you're rejoicing. You're rejoicing over all this random stuff. It's just fleeting. It's just going to go away. It's just going to end. But Paul had a different idea. See, Paul understood God's faithfulness because his life was embedded in the stories of his culture. The Jewish people who waited hundreds of years in slavery, in Egypt, and then God came and rescued them. The incredible reality of God, who after hundreds of years of being quiet, sends angels to shepherds and says, there is a Messiah who is being born. See, he recognized that through all of this, all of the fleeting moments of life, all the places that we can worry, he said there's one constant, one constant that doesn't get old And that's God. It's one constant that never changes. And that's God. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Not just rejoice, because you don't know what to rejoice about. But rejoice in the Lord. And here's what I think Paul is doing. I think Paul is imploring us to reflect on God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy in your life. Until your emotions catch up with that reality. I think Paul is saying you have to take the time. And sometimes you just have to rejoice in God. And you have to say, I know that God is good. I know that God is faithful. I know that God loves me. And you're standing here and going, but it doesn't feel like it. So you dig back a little bit. Well, I know there was a moment that God was faithful. I know there was a moment God loved me. I know that, and you can start beginning to think through your life, and you can find those places that God was faithful, that God loved you, that God showed you mercy, that God showed you grace. This is the power of things like baptism. When all lost, hope is lost, you look back and you remember that day that your old life ended, and you said, I am new, and I am following Jesus. If you've been baptized, you remember that. You remember that moment of saying, I'm my life to Jesus, and you were so fired up, you were walking down your neighborhood screaming about Jesus, and you remember what it was like to rejoice in that reality. There's something powerful, and that's what Paul is saying. Go back in your story. Remember what God has done in your life. He says, why would you allow circumstances, nothing you have control over, to take control of what it is to reflect God's grace and mercy and his love inside of you, and that's why he says the next thing he says. Do not be anxious about everything. Oh, I'm sorry. I just went forward. Let me go back. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And then he says this. Listen to this. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. See, now it makes sense. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Because something happens when you begin to rejoice. When you're worried about stuff. When the joy wears off of that new relationship or the house or that car and worry is the only thing you have, you're probably not very fun to be around. Do you know many people that they, their spouse looks at them and says, you know, I like when you're worried. You're a lot more of an enjoyable person. You know, when you're anxious about stuff, when you're spiraling down, that's when I think you really show the best of your character. I think people look at you and your spiraling moments and they think, you know what? He's got Jesus in his life. That's what those kind of people look like. I mean, worried people are not fun to be around, are they? Everything's a disaster. Everything's falling apart. The world is coming to an end and you're just sort of like, Man, I, don't, I don't really want to be around this person. Paul says, let's be different. Let's be the kind of people that find joy in God celebrating his grace and his love and his mercy in such a way that causes people to look at us and go, man, those people are a little crazy. There's all these things they could worry about, yet they seem to be happy. They seem to be excited. They seem to be ready to go. And it doesn't mean that life is perfect. Don't get me wrong here. It just means that you have a different perspective. You see things in a different way. And people look at you and go, something is going on. Something is going on. He says, let your gentleness, let your gentleness be evident to all. And you've got a lot going on in your life. Yeah, I know. It's not perfect. It's hard. I got God. I got the people around me who support me through it. I'll be all right. I'll get there. I know that God is good. People say, that seems crazy. I know it does. But I trust. My life has shown me that. My life has shown me that. Something happens. So Paul, after all this beginning. He goes on and he says, do not be anxious about it, anything, but in every situation. Now, this is where Paul is annoying. Because if you ever had somebody look at you when you have something going on in your life and they go, you know what? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And here's how you responded, right? You looked at them and said, you know what? What was I thinking? You're right. What do I have to worry about? You know, thank you for that. You've really made me feel better. I'm just going to stop worrying about it. Depending on your personality, I think there are three things you're going to do. One, you're going to strangle the person. Two, you're going to get in the car and you're going to take it out on your steering wheel. Or three, you're just going to get quiet for months and not talk to that person. That's how we tend to react to people who look at us and go, yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. You're like, now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to strangle you first. What do you know about my life? How can you tell me not to worry. Who do you think you are? See, this is one of those places where we all have something big going on, no matter how big or unbig it seems to someone else. Every one of us has something big going on. Every one of us has a place to worry. But Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, Paul had some big stuff going on. I don't think he's saying you don't have something big going on. He's saying, here, I want to show you how to frame it. I don't think Paul is saying, look, 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 don't worry. He's saying, look, you don't need to be anxious. Stick with me. Let me show you why. There's a reason here. I'm going to frame it in the reality of God's goodness and mercy in your life. And let me just show you how to work this out. So he goes on, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. So Paul encouraged us to pray. It sounds like a good idea. But then, here's where this gets good. So Paul, so Paul's going along here, right? He's kind of setting things up. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice in, in, uh, until you find the goodness and the mercy and the love of God. Recognize that your worry maybe isn't as big as you think. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not going to affect everything. Just, just hold on with me. Then he says don't be anxious about it but he said here's what I want you to do I want you to pray. I go okay okay we'll pray. He says with thanksgiving by prayer and petition and then he comes to a really interesting word. He comes to a word that's not typically used in the context of prayer. And this word is the key. This word changes everything when it comes to worrying, fear and the what ifs of life. He says do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, here it is, present your requests to God. Present your requests to God. Now now listen to this. The language that this letter was written in was the Greek language because it was written to Greek people, the language of the people who lived in the community of Philippi. And the word that we use to translate, the, the word that we translate present in the original language looks something like this. Now, this is a very crazy Greek word, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but I'm going to pronounce it because I want you to join me in this because I want you to hear this word. I want want this word for you to go, that's a weird word. So next time you read this passage and you see present, this word comes to mind, okay? That's what I want you to do. This is gnorositho. I'm not going to ask you to put the Greek accent to it, Gnorisetho. Say it with me. Gnorasitho. Gnorisetho. Paul looks at these people or is writing to these people and he says, What's the word? What's the word that makes sense here? What am I trying to help them? Ah, he says, Gnorasitho. And it doesn't show up anywhere else in scripture when talking about prayer. It's unique to this point. It's so unique that here's what I think happens. These letters were sent off to these churches. And these people would meet just like us. And somebody would take the letter and say, we got a letter from Paul. You remember Paul, the guy that started the church, that helped us uh, understand who Jesus was? Well, he wrote us a letter. He wants us to tell us about what it means to have this faith that we're all trying to figure out, right? He's going through and he's talking about worry. And all these people in Philippi are going, yeah, I'm worried. Uh, Did you hear about the persecutions taking place? Did you hear about the stuff happening? Everybody's got some worry. And then he goes through and he says, now don't be anxious. And they all went, what is he talking about? He says, pray. And they're like, should we pray now? No, 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 no. Listen to what Paul says. He says, with thanksgiving. Then he says, though." And some dude in the back goes, what now? You ever do that? You ever hear somebody say something and your head kind of cocks to the side and you're like, what now? That's what this word caused people to do. I'm confident of it. Because it's so weird, it's so out of context, it normally isn't in a place of prayer, that it changes everything for how they understand prayer. And it changes everything for how we understand prayer. Because this word brings a whole new dimension to prayer. The reason for this is that this Greek word for present, gnorositho, was generally used in the context of solving a mystery, it could be translated as reveal with the impl- implication being that you're revealing a mystery in prayer. Have you ever played Clue? Have you ever played Clue with your kids? And they want to open up that, that envelope and look quickly who, who done it and where they done it and with what they done it. Right? And, and they just want to look in there and go, no, 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 let the game play out. That's sort of the fun of the game. The game's ridiculous, Right? People are walking around, you know it's Mr. Green. You know it's Mr. Green. Everybody knows it's Mr. It's always Mr. Green, right? But you say, no, let the game play out. Let's find out what happens. And then when you get there, when you reveal the mystery, when you open the cards, and everybody goes, oh, it was Professor Plum. And everybody's shocked and surprised. They revealed a mystery. See, I did it. See? They presented, they revealed the mystery that was there. And this is what Paul is getting at here. The idea of solving a mystery during prayer could be a very new idea to us, just like it was to the people in Philippi. See, what Paul is saying is that when you're praying, you have to spend the time necessary to understand what's at the deepest level of your request. The literal idea here, okay, is to reveal the mystery of your request. Something that unfolds that was previously unknown. Now here, the idea is not to inform God. It's to discover what is at the heart of our fear. What is it at the heart of what we're anxious about? What is it that's really going on in our lives that is causing us all this anxiety and this fear? What is driving the what-ifs? What is the deepest fear, worry, and anxiety driving your prayer? What are the what-ifs that you have in place of struggle? And the idea isn't to be ashamed of those things. It's to discover them and hand them over to God. At the end of Jesus' life, we find a really raw prayer. A moment that we see Jesus in agony over the very real reality of the cross. And I want you to hear how Jesus prayed in this moment. Jesus praying the very real, raw realities of fear. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Now, hold on a second. How, how do they know that? How does Mark know that Jesus was deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus didn't say, I'm deeply distressed and troubled. Mark writes, he was. Uh, Mark knew all these people that were around at the time, that knew Jesus, that knew the stories. And can you imagine that people, what an interesting reality, that as they're telling the story of Jesus, they said, do you, you guys remember? Do you guys remember that one time when Jesus was scared. And somebody probably looked over and said, you know what, man, I really connected with that too because it reminded me of how real Jesus was. It reminded me how human Jesus was. It reminded me that it's okay to be scared. It's okay to have fear. But, but then, do you guys remember what Jesus did? And they go on. And then Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, Stay here and keep watch. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, which is Hebrew for daddy, (laughs) Daddy. Man. When I'm scared. So I talked to my dad. Daddy, come over. Anybody else ever do that? That's what Jesus did. Daddy, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. <laughs> he knew the stories. But he said, Take this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. What an incredible prayer. Absolute distress. So raw in emotion. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup. I don't want to go to this cross. Not what I will, but what you will. I know this is how the story is going to end. I know this is where we're headed. Jesus shows us here that we can get to the depth of what we're fearful of. We can release it to God. We can experience his peace, but something much better comes, something that lasts. And, And I wonder, guys, I just wonder when Paul became a believer, when Paul was thinking about Jesus, when he began to talk to other people, when he heard this story, do you think he said, you know what, we're supposed to be like Jesus? What would it look like as followers of Jesus if we got to that level with our prayer lives what if we dug down deep to the mystery and revealed what was really going on in our hearts he said how would that change our lives what would we look like as a result look at this i highlighted some words look at this rejoice in the lord always i'll say it again rejoice let your gentleness be evident at all the lord is near do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, okay, now here's here's the key, remember this? Present your request to God, and here's, here's what I wanted you to hear, verse seven. And the, read that, peace of God, which transcends all understanding, doesn't it? Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Just leave that up. And the peace of God. He says something happens, doesn't it? He says when you dig down deep and you recognize what is at the heart of your fear, what is at the heart of your worry, what is at the heart of what you're anxious about, he said if you discover that, if you reveal that to God, peace, peace, that transcends all understanding, Will guard your heart. See, Jesus shows us in this passage not what you will, not what I will, but what you will, not what I will, but what you will. That you could almost see it happening. There's this anxiety, this worry, this fear. Jesus presents it, and this peace that comes over the passage, that comes over Jesus. And Paul says this is true for us too. Peace is not the absence of what we fear. It is the very real presence of God in the place of fear. Those things aren't going to go away. Peace isn't the absence of fear. It's not the absence of what we fear. It's not the absence of that. It's not those things going away that we're worried about. It's not the things that cause the what-ifs just going away. They're going to still be there. Peace is the very real presence of God in the place of fear. And he said if we name those things, then he closes. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is admirable, lovely, pure, right, noble, whatever you've learned or heard or seen of me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. In our world today, you might look around, you might say, we have more than we can handle. But when we move to trusting our fears with God, we move from being paralyzed by our fears to experiencing peace to becoming peacemakers. That's what Paul is getting at. He said, you move from a person who has all this fear and all this worry in their hearts to being a person who shares that with God, who digs down deep and says, here's what I'm actually worried about. God, take it from me. You experience this incredible peace. He says something as a reality changes in your heart, and you enter into this world as a person who goes and makes peace. It's incredible. It's a powerful lesson and a reality for us not leave things undone, to not leave things unsaid, but to enter those things with God's very real presence in our fear. So here's some questions. What is it that you fear right now? What is that thing that you can't seem to let go of? What is pulling on your heart and leaving you stuck? What is that thing that is keeping you from acting? What are the what-ifs that you're facing right now? Now, here's the invitation to start over. Reveal those fears to God. Take the time to dig down deep. What would it look like as families if we sat down and looked at each other honestly and said, I have a very real fear right now. And this is the fear that's in my heart. And we prayed together. And said, let's give it to God. And let's let his peace enter our lives, and enter our families, and enter this community here, and enter this world in a time when we are filled with fear. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this short letter to this community in the city of Philippi. A letter, God, that was shared over and over and over again, that was kept and protected and came down over the years into our hands. That we see these people who had very real fears similar to ours. Who were encouraged to pray, to seek you, to share their honest fears with each other and with you. God, we pray that we would do the same. And that we would experience your incredible peace in our lives. And move beyond the regrets of our fears. And start over and experience new life in you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.